Thanks for coming today. Again, I want to welcome uh, the fathers and tell you thank you for being here. And for those of you that bought cool cars and hot bikes, uh, thank you guys or gals. They're awesome out there. I don't know if you noticed Pastor Brian's uh, Cavalier. That's an 01, baby. That's a special car. And I just said if it was special to you, you could bring it. And his is out there with the lid up even. And somebody says it's got a 427 in that. And he said, I think it might be worth $427. But thank you. And Dan Manhammer, uh, who's a, a, a racer and really does this as a Christian ministry. His bike's up here. Very cool. If you want to check it out afterwards, you can. And by the way, and Dan did not ask me to do this, but uh, he's, a, he's a biker, a Christian biker. And and a professional racer, and if you are a business guy and you'd like to uh, be a corporate sponsor, you come talk to Dan afterwards as well. That'd be great, just to bless what God's doing. Well, today we're going to take a look at uh, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. We're going to talk about how to be fathers like our father, how to love like him. Uh, you, mo- many of you have heard my story over the years. You know that, that uh, uh, I have uh, some things I can be very grateful for in my heritage, some incredible godly men and women, uh, especially my mom's side of the family that were uh, powerful and gifted and great mentors to me of what it means to walk after God and to follow him. On the Bubna side, uh, not quite so much. Uh, my great-grandpa came from the old country, and he was ornery, harsh, mean, cold, distant, had nine kids, and he was a farmer, and I think he paid more attention to his animals than he did his children. My grandfather, George, uh, was one of his sons, and uh, by and large, because the relationship he had or didn't have with his dad, he was pretty cold and harsh, a godly man. He did love the Lord. He served God many years, but still not what you would call a stellar father when it came to uh, being like our father in heaven. And then his son, my dad, George Jr., uh, tried, but my dad was wounded, had a lot of issues because of his history with his father. And uh, my dad was not a great dad. And most of you have heard me tell up until really about the last few years of his life, I had a horrible relationship with him. Or, or non-existent. He was an absentee father. Most of my life growing up, my dad was not around, and I wasn't uh, in, in any kind of meaningful relationship with him at all. I say all of those things because I, I want you to understand that the goal God has for us as dads is to be like our father, to be like him. And when my oldest daughter, uh, Jessica, was just a little baby, in fact, we were here in Spokane at Life Center, and a guy named Rod, who I, I love and, and value his counsel to this day, he looked at me and he said, Kurt, uh, here's a question I want you to wrestle with. What kind of God does your child see in you? Now, I'll be honest, when he first said that, said that, my initial reaction was, dude, I am not God. Don't put that kind of pressure on me. But his point, and I want you to catch the point, his point was, by and large, the way our children grow up with their fathers or without their fathers will definitely impact, at least for a long time, uh, the way they see God. And he asked this very important question, what kind of God does your father see in you? Now, I realized that my view of God, when he asked that, I realized that my view of God had been very tainted by the relationship I didn't have with my dad. My view of God was that God was angry, God was harsh, God was distant and aloof because that's the way that my dad was with me. And it took a long time for my view of God to change. In fact, I was in my late 20s before God really began to heal what I call my, my understanding or my father image of him. But that question that Rod asked me, what kind of God does your child see in you, has motivated me to want to be like Father God, to to want to be like him. Now, I am not the perfect father. I am quick to say that, and my kids would tell you that. I've made plenty of mistakes along the way. But honestly, I have tried. From the time I was a father with just a little infant, raising four children, and at one time having four teenagers in my house, God bless us, Um, (laughs) 
I have tried to be like my father and to be more like him and to let his nature be developed in me. Some of you, in your past, you grew up with a dad uh, that you wished maybe you didn't have. Or maybe you grew up in a home where you didn't have a dad at all. Or maybe you had a great dad, and I'm really, I'm excited, I truly am. I, that's an awesome heritage and blessing. If you had an awesome father, but perhaps maybe you still have wrestled at times. How can I be like my dad? I just, I don't have the chops, I don't have the ability, I'm not nearly as good as him. And you've measured yourself by your own father. And, and, but regardless of your past, good or not so good, here's the good news today. God can and will, listen to me, God can and he will help you to become more like him and to love more like him. Some of you, as we walk through this, you're going to compare yourself to what I'm talking about, and you're going to go, I, I, I lack there. I, I haven't done that very well. Don't be discouraged by that. Don't beat yourself up with that. Understand this. As you come to God, surrender your life to him and ask him to help you. I promise you, God will empower you to be a better dad. And some of you think, well, it's too late for me. My kids are grown up in God. No, it is never too late. My dad was in his uh, early 60s when our relationship began to heal. And the last three years of his life were awesome and powerful. It's never too late for God to restore and heal relationships. But what I want to focus on today are three ways that we can become more like God and love more like Him. And here's the first one, number one. Intentionally develop your child's character with grace. Now, I I love the word intentionality. It's one of my favorites. If you know me, you know I use it a lot. Because I think it's that word that means with purpose. You you don't just wander through life. You don't just wander through being a parent. You certainly just, just don't wander through being a dad. That you need to operate with intentionality, with purpose, with definition, with clarity, with conviction. And intentionally develop your child's character with grace. Now let me unpack that word to develop. To develop means to form, to train, to correct, to adjust and mold with a view to growth and maturity. To develop is not just to tell somebody something. It is to really mold, to shape. In fact, the word picture is, I want you to see a mound of clay. And as a parent, and and, and specifically speaking to dads today... As a dad, you have the opportunity to mold and shape your child. That's a gift that God has given to you, the opportunity to make a difference in their life. We train, we correct, we adjust, we mold with a view to to growth. And sometimes that's not really pleasant. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it seems a a little tough, but it is always to be done with grace. I said to, to develop your child's character with grace because that's the way God is with us. We train, correct, adjust in the same way God does with us. And how does God treat us? He treats us with love. He treats us with compassion. God is not harsh or mean or cruel with you. Never. God is not uh, ugly with you. He's never going to be that way. He is firm, but he's patient. He is resolved, but he's always relational. One of my favorite verses in Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, and he says to the people of Israel, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I mean, it's, it's never stopped. And I love this part. I have drawn you with loving kindness. I have drawn you. I have wooed you. I have brought you closer to me. Not with being a mean, ugly person, but by my loving kindness and my mercy. God, by the way, is speaking there through Jeremiah to a group of people who failed miserably time and time again. And through the prophet Jeremiah, if you read the book of Jeremiah, God definitely corrects and chastises them. That's part of what it means to be a dad, a parent. And God does that through the prophet Jeremiah. But love was was his motivation and relationship was his goal. Let me say that again. Love is and was always God's motivation and relationship is his goal. So to develop and to instruct and discipline our children means to do so in this context of grace and mercy and love. 
to draw them with our loving kindness to become, to encourage them to become the men and women God wants them to be. I'm going to land on a few verses in Proverbs 23 today. And if you've got your Bible, you can turn there to Proverbs, the 23rd chapter, and I'll walk, work through a, a few verses in that passage. It's written by a guy named Solomon, King Solomon, who is considered one of the wisest kings to ever live. Now, he made some mistakes of his own. That's another story. But this book, Proverbs, is really a collection, for the most part, of his wise saints. But what you need to understand is he wrote that, really, to his children. He wrote that to his sons. He wrote this because he wanted his kids to learn from him and to learn wisdom and to grow in wisdom. And so in Proverbs 23, 15, and 16, he says, My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. Solomon says, Son, if your heart is wise, man, you're going to make this, this dad's heart really glad. Verse 16, My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. I'm going to get excited. I'm going to get pumped when you say the right things, when you speak righteous, righteously. Skip down to verse 19. He says, Listen, my son. And be wise and keep your heart on the right path. Listen, my son, and be wise and keep your heart on the right path, on the right way. I want you to see here first, Solomon makes a relational appeal to his kids. He, twice he says, he uses the phrase, my son. And what I see in that is he didn't just say, hey, this is your old man. Or, hey, idiot, pay attention. What he said is, my son. He's appealing to him from a relational basis. But then he challenges them. Son, have a wise heart. Stay in the right path. Let your mouth speak the right things. What's Solomon doing? He's adjusting. He's molding. He's shaping. He's training his son's view and understanding about what is and isn't important in this life. As fathers, and I go, again, true for moms too, but dads, I'm talking to you today. As fathers, if we're to be like our Father God and to love like our Father God, it is our responsibility to form the character of our children. It is our responsibility to mold them into men and women of God. There's another passage that makes this very clear. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. King James says, don't provoke them to wrath. I like that. Don't exasperate your kids. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in the training and instruction of God and God's ways. Paul says, Dads, fathers, train and instruct your kids in the ways of God. And what I want to underline here for you is that that's important that you get that it's not primarily a coach's job, a teacher's job, the youth pastor's job. It's not just your wife's job. Gentlemen, God has given you the role, the God-given role and responsibility to be involved in forming, shaping, molding the character of your children with grace. That's what God's done with you. And that's what he wants you to do with your children. Here's the second thing, number two. Give your kids the blessing of boundaries. Give your children the blessing of boundaries. First, we mold and shape their character, who they are. And then we instruct them about what to do and what not to do by giving them boundaries to live within. My uh, grandson Caleb was at our house yesterday, and I finished mowing the lawn. and wanted to sit outside for a while. It was beautiful, and he loves to play outdoors. And so I, I did what I usually do. I opened up the garage door, pulled my rocker chair out right in front. It's pretty much white trash. But I... I, I I sat out in front of my garage in my rocker, and, and uh, Caleb came out and wanted to play. And I, I, I said, Caleb, I said, Grandpa, he's going to show you where you can't go. I said, here's the line. There was a line that, to the sidewalk, very clearly marked line. I said, I don't want you to go across that line. Because across the sidewalk, then he goes through the street. That boy can move fast. So I said, Caleb, I said, that's the line. You understand? That? Yeah, yeah, Grandpa, he got it. He's smart. He's only two years old. Not quite two, but very smart. I said, very advanced for his age. He's very smart. 
But I said, uh, that's the line. Don't go across the line. Well, I go back, sit down on my chair, and it wasn't 30 seconds later. I kid you not. He walks up, and he looks at me <laughs> and sticks his foot across the line. Where do they learn that? <laughs> uh, human nature. And he got disciplined for it. He did. Why? And he said, well, that's kind of harsh. I mean, what's the big deal? I, I provided a boundary for his protection. Do you get that? Sometimes people think, oh, man, you know, you just got you to let your kids be free. You got to get, you know, in fact, there's a stupid philosophy out there in our culture right now, and I've read it in articles and books, that says never use the word no with your children. Always use yes. Give them a yes, not a no. That's just dumber and dirt. Now, I want to be positive. I'm not going to be always critical and negative. I'm not suggesting that. I think if that's the spirit within which they're making that statement, maybe that makes a little bit of sense. But trust me, no is a boundary that they need to have. They need to understand. I had a woman tell me, I'm just, I just, she was convinced that she would stunt her children's creativity if she used the word no with them. So I just let them run free, and boy, did she. And it was a nightmare for everybody around them. Now, of course, let me insert this, of course, you want your children, as they grow older, to begin to make more of their own decisions. Trust me, if you've got a 16 or 17-year-old and you're still drawing a line in the, the driveway, you've got a problem. <laughs> the goal is they get older, they, they get more freedom, they, they, you develop early on in life some understanding, some parameters. You get, teach them to respect authority and property and people and to do the right thing for the right reasons. And those are boundaries that are, are holy and godly and good. And then as they grow older, you don't want to be overly controlling. You know, I've seen kids go off to college, you know, with parents who were just always made every decision for them and over-controlling in every area, and they could hardly wait to get out of the house, went to college, and went off the deep end, wild, crazy. They're the party animals you see on TV. Why? Because they didn't ever get the opportunity to grow and to learn responsibility. I know. The goal is not to always control. But while your children are living at your home, especially as they're in their younger years, God expects, here's a radical concept, he expects you to draw some boundaries for them. He expects you to tell your children living at home what you require and what is, okay, what you desire. How do I know that? Well, because that's what God does with us. His word defines what is and isn't okay. God provides boundaries in the scriptures. And his, he also provides his Holy Spirit to guide us along the way as well. Psalm 119, longest psalm in the Bible. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read a few verses. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light from my path. The psalm says, God, your word is a, it illuminates my way, gives me direction, and helps me see where to go. 130, uh, verse 133 says, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. The psalm says, according to your word, let me stay free from evil and darkness. Verse 169, oh Lord, give me understanding according to your word. Give me wisdom and understanding and knowledge according to the word of God. God gives us boundaries. He does. He defines for us things he wants us to do and things he doesn't want us to do. And I love the fact that God always says what he means and means what he says. God is very consistent. He always says what he means and means what he says. Now, we Christians can argue about just about anything. We argue for everything from eternal security to the end times, and, and we're pretty famous for arguing about a lot of stuff. But there are things in the Bible that God makes very, very clear. There's no argument about it. He defines boundaries. Don't lie. That's clearly taught in the scriptures. Don't steal. Don't put yourself first. In fact, live in a way that you, you, you honor others above yourselves. 
Speak the truth in love. Love your neighbors as you love yourself. Lay your life down for something of greater purpose. These are things taught clearly in the scriptures. There are a whole lot of boundaries, things God says do and don't do. Within this, go for it, live there. Outside of that, don't go there at all. And God always speaks his mind. He always says what he means and means what he says. And as dads, as parents, that's one of the things we need to get better at. Saying what we mean and meaning what we say. And not being afraid to do so. Drawing boundaries for our children because we love them and don't want them to get hurt. Deuteronomy 6, 5 to 7, Moses wrote these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus quoted this in the New Testament. Many of us have heard that passage. But then he goes on and says, these commandments, most of the things that I've just given you, the commandments from God, these the commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then verse 7, in this very context, he says this incredible thing. He says, impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. And I love that word impress. It means shape them, fold, mold them into, impress, make the imprint of God's word and ways upon the hearts of your children. And how do we do that? He says, well, as you go through life, when you get up, when you lie down, when you're walking along the road, integrate faith, integrate God and God's word, God's truth into real life. You see, we have this opportunity to, to make a difference in the lives of our children because because God gave us his word, we can give them his word as well. And we're to love them. We're to, to help them know God. We are to, to show them the path. But then we get to, in fact, teach them, talk about them whenever and whenever we can to impress them with the words and the ways of God. Here's one more thing. Number three, encourage your children about their future hope in Christ. I love this thing, this truth, this, this opportunity we have to encourage, not to discourage, but to encourage our children about their future hope in Christ. Proverbs 23, 18 says, There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Solomon says to his son, man, there's a hope for you, and it's, it's never going to be cut off. It's never going to end. Now, one of the things you need to understand, hope in the Bible is, is defined differently than we tend to use it. More often than not, when we use the word hope, we mean wishful thinking. Well, I hope I win the lottery. Good luck on that one. Well, I hope, you know, if everything lines up, if everything goes well, if I'm lucky, I hope. We, we tend to define hope as something that might happen if, if, you know, whatever takes place. In the Bible, hope is defined as confident expectation. Almost every time you read the word hope in the, in the, in the, the Bible, you can input the words confident expectation. God, confident expectation. And what I want you to see here is that a good father has confidence in his children and in their future. He believes in them. And that belief and hope motivates them. He believes that God has a destiny for his children. And he says that. He communicates that. He, he shows them that in his, in his words and in his life. It's the kind of hope and confidence that the apostle had for a guy named Philemon. There's a small little book in the New Testament called Philemon. And it's really written to Philemon about his dealings with a fugitive, a runaway slave named Onesimus. And Paul wrote this in Philemon, verse 21, he says, confident of your obedience. He's speaking to Philemon. He says, I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. That's God confidence. That's a hope. Paul had a confidence in Philemon that he would do the right thing. He was confident. He's had great hope that he would do exactly what needed to be done. In fact, even more so. You see, when someone believes in you, amazing things can happen. When someone believes in you and puts their confidence in God in you, 
and, and communicates to you, I believe that God has destined you for great things. I believe God has a plan for your life. I believe God wants to use you in amazing ways. When that's communicated, it really does inspire us to greatness. One of the things I love about many of the teachers in our, in our uh, uh, church, and I've gotten to know them, some of them I've seen in the classroom. One of them was in the last service, Kelly, and I picked on her a little bit, and I'll just pick on her again because she's just a great example of this. I've seen her in the classroom with kids. I've seen her with difficult kids. By the way, I was one of those kids in school when I, I, I was ADD, and the teacher always made me sit in the front row. I thought it was because I was special. <laughs> I was in a different sort of way. She wanted to keep her eye on me. But I've watched Kelly with kids that you would think, boy, that kid's a handful. I don't know. Oh, man, that kid's got a trouble. That kid's got a messed up, you know, family. And I, would, I have watched her go overboard and communicate more often than not. Man, I, I, I know you can do better. I believe in you. And what happens when that gets communicated to a kid? Man, nobody wants to let somebody down. I mean, we all have. We've all failed. We know we've made mistakes. But nobody lives to fail. Nobody wants to be a discouragement or, or to let people down. And when someone says to us, I believe in you, I see Jesus in you, I know God has great things for you, man, there's something in us that just rises up and says, I don't want to let them down. I want to be that person. I, I, and we begin to believe what they believe. It's contagious. Oh, wow. Even as adults, when someone says, I believe in you, I, I see Jesus in you, I know God's got great things for you, our response more often than not is thank you. Sometimes, oh, no, you don't know me. But more often than not is like, wow, that, that really does encourage me. Years ago, in fact, over 10 years ago, when uh, I was praying about planning a church, starting a church out in the valley, I was on staff at Life Center, loved my job there, loved the team I worked with there. I had been a senior pastor before in Portland, came here to go on staff at Life Center, and absolutely loved that church and what God was doing. And I had no desire to ever be a senior pastor again. I pretty much figured I'd done that, been there, and, and was ready to just be comfortable the rest of my life and to just cruise through life as, as a staff pastor at Life Center. One day God had the audacity to do one of these things with me and say, Boobna, I want you to plant a church in the valley. It's like, oh. And I wish I could tell you my immediate response was, oh, Jesus, thank you. I... <laughs> my response was, no, I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. I had a little bit of a temper tantrum. I don't want to, Jesus. You can't make me. <laughs> and I, I really wrestled. I mean, I, I, I struggled through some things for, for weeks, actually. I finally got to the point where I, I knew God was making it really clear what he wanted me to do. And I was coming to a point of decision. And I called up a mentor and a spiritual father in my life. Some of you know him. His name's Noel Campbell. I've known Noel for over 35 years. He, when I was a youth pastor in Eugene, Oregon, Noel was a mentor and spiritual father to me then. And I have, I have admired this man, loved him. Noel Campbell walks with Jesus. I'm pretty sure that he's never going to die. A chariot of fire is going to come and just take him to heaven. I, he is an amazing man. I just love him dearly. And I called Noel because I knew Noel was praying with me about this, and I'd ask him to. And I wanted, here's what I wanted. I called Noel. I said, Noel, just tell me what to do. Because I know you know. And I, and, and I trust you. Just tell me what to do. And I will never forget what Noel said to me. And it, because the words were so powerful to me. Noel said, Kurt, I know you'll hear Jesus, and I know you'll do the right thing. I know you'll hear Jesus, and I know you'll obey him. At first, I was a little upset. Not what I want to hear, no. Just tell me what to do. Let's make this easy. 
But then the more I thought about it, the more I realized, wow, this guy believes in me. And that inspired me to pray harder, to, to get on my face more and to say, God, whatever you want, I'll do. His belief in Jesus in me inspired me to do more than I would have ever done on my own. And that's the way God wants you to be with your kids. Remind your children often, often. Think about it and remind them often that God has a great plan for their life, that he has something special and unique for them to do. And even if you're not quite sure what that is, you know, we don't know. We can't see the future. But you can believe that God has got a plan, that God's got a purpose for them and communicate to, that, to them over and over. Value your kids as distinct and unique individuals and help them envision a special, fu special future that they can have in the kingdom of God serving him. Dream with your kids. Encourage them with a hope-filled future. Inspire them to greatness and encourage their passionate pursuit of God. One last verse in Proverbs 23, verse 17. Solomon says, Do not, son, let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. And, and, and Solomon said, Son, don't be envious. I know you look at their life and you go, Well, if I just did that, if I could do that, my life would be a lot more fun or I'd have a lot more stuff, right? And he says, Don't let your heart envy sinners. Don't, don't go there. Instead, be zealous. Be zealous for God. And there are two primary ways, and this is extra, it's free, it's not in your notes today, but a couple ways I want to quickly identify for you that you can encourage a zealous, passionate love of God in your children. Here's the first thing, number one, or letter A in your notes if you're taking notes. Live it. Model it for them. Show them what it means to love the Lord with all their heart. Live it. Show them what it means to be a passionate lover of Jesus. Dr. Larry Krebs is a father, someone who walks the path in a way that attracts his children to want to walk the same path. That's an awesome statement. A father, a good father, is someone who walks the path in relationship with God, so much so that it attracts his children to want to walk that same path. Kids need to see their fathers passionately in love with God because that's going to encourage and motivate them. They need to see you demonstrate the kindness and love and mercy and even repentance. The, the, when you fail, they need to see in you a humble heart. Model for your children what it means to be godly. Model for what it means to... to to show them how to live in the kingdom. Howard Hendricks said, if teaching were only telling, my kids would be incredibly brilliant. I've told them everything they need to know. So it's more than just telling your kids, it's showing them. But set an example for your kids. And then integrate your faith into the reality of your life and theirs. Maybe you're watching TV together and something happens. And it's kind of an evil moment on television. What a concept. And, and you think, wow, man... Wish they didn't see that. Ouch, boy, that was not so good. You could ignore that, or you could perhaps take that as a teaching opportunity and pause the DVR, or at the commercial break, hey, guys, what did you see there? What did, what did you think about that? Now, don't do that every commercial. Let us have a spiritual moment now. <laughs> do not do that with your kids. They will never watch TV with you again. But there will be those moments where you'll know, wow, I, just, I need to just say something here. We need to just interact about this and integrate faith into their, their world. Maybe you're driving down the road. I know you've never done this, but I have. Driving down the road, somebody cuts you off and you say a word you shouldn't say. Or you gesture with a per, per, particular part of your hand that you shouldn't gesture with. And then suddenly it dawns on you, uh-oh, my kids are in the back seat. <laughs> and your first prayer is, oh, God, please don't let them tell their mother. <laughs> and then your second thought is, I can ignore that, deny it, or you can do the right thing. Repent. 
What a radical concept. What a great idea. Guys, what you just heard from Daddy, that was wrong. What I just did there, kids, I, I got angry. I said something I shouldn't have said. Please forgive me. And you can model for them repentance. You're not trying to model perfection. You're never going to get there. But you can model for them what it means to walk humbly before your God. And you can model repentance when you fail and show your kids what it means to walk with Jesus. The second thing you can do is encourage their passion for God. And this is important, by wholehearted support of the things in their life that are eternal. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me ask you a few questions. What do you get the most excited about in their lives? Do you praise them more for winning a soccer game or winning one of their friends to Jesus? Do you praise them more for good grades or for their growth and holiness? Do you praise them more for their potential future in business and talk more about what they might be able to do someday and, and all the money they might make as a doctor or whatever? Or do you encourage that they discover their destiny in Christ? See, there's nothing wrong with soccer or good grades or discovering your destiny. Nothing at all. But where we place our emphasis sets a spiritual tone for them in their lives. That's my point. Again, nothing wrong with a lot of things. I'm not saying we always got to put on this super spiritual hat and be this hyper spiritual person. No, life is life and it's real. I get that. But where we place our emphasis more often than not, what we, what we fan in them is going to be what becomes a passion for them. And never underestimate the influence you have in their life. Because what is important to you will become important to them. Now some of you think, well, that wasn't true with my dad. A lot of things are important to him, and I don't want to be like him at all. Well, it's because he didn't do things the right way. He didn't do things the way God wants him to do it. But generally speaking, and I know there are exceptions, generally speaking, when you do the right thing, live the right way, do your best to follow God and love God with all your heart, and you model that for your children, then they're going to want to be like that. They're going to want to be like you. They're going to value what you value. They're going to put emphasis in their life where you put emphasis in your life. Matthew 6, Jesus said, God will give you all you need from day to day. If you live for him, I make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus called us to that. And when we model that for our children, when we model godliness for them, we fan the flame of spiritual passion in their lives. And we do so by choosing what we're going to focus on primarily focus on in their life and in ours. We've been in a series for weeks now, and we only have one more left, talking about the extravagant love of God. And the reason we've taken so much time to talk about this and to look at this from the scriptures is because I've wanted you to be encouraged about how much God loves you. And I've wanted to challenge and encourage you to love God in response. And let me finish with some really good news this morning, guys. Some of you, again, you're thinking, wow, I've got a long ways to grow. It's okay. So you're thinking, I can, I can never be that kind of dad on your own? Probably not. But the good news is God empowers us to do what he calls us to do. He, he calls you. He wants you to be a father in the image of the father. He wants you to be a parent just like him. And I know that that's a pretty high bar. And I know that we're, we're going to fail along the way. But the great news is God, what he calls us to do, he empowers us to do. And it happens in the context of relationship with him. As you fall more in love with him, as you walk in a love relationship with him, he will fill you with more of him to be like him and to love your kids like he does. Someone once said, as families go, so go civilizations. And I believe that's true. 
And so let me ask you one more time what the question I started with today. What kind of God does your child see in you? What kind of God does your child see in you? And again, don't be discouraged by that question. Be encouraged and challenged. And simply decide to walk in relationship with him, to love him, and then to be empowered by him to love your kids the way he does. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I know that you are a father beyond anything we can probably even completely imagine. You've been faithful and good and true and kind to us. And I know, God, that you have demonstrated the Father heart to us again and again and again. And it's my prayer today, Jesus, that you would inspire us by the presence of your Holy Spirit within us to live for you, to follow you, to surrender our lives to you. God, where we feel like we've failed as fathers, I, I, I know that you are redeeming, God, that you can restore anything that's been lost. I know you can. Where we feel like we just are inadequate right now and ill-equipped to do the job, Lord, that's okay, because I know that in you we can have everything we need to do what you've called us to do. That where we lack, you, Lord, come and supply. Lord, our future, where we have questions about, maybe I'm, some are not even dads yet, and they're, they're worried about being the father and how good they might or might not do. Lord, I pray that you'd give them hope for their future. That as they keep their eyes on you, Father, that they would know, experience the father heart, the father love of God in a way that would transform them and help them become the dads, the moms, the parents that you want us to be so that we can love our kids the way you love us. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a minute. Maybe you're here today and you've not started your life as a Christ follower yet. I'm going to tell you what I've experienced and what I've seen in the scriptures. Living a godly life is impossible without God. Oh, you can be good and moral. There's some things you can do right. But living the life that God wants you to live and being like him is impossible without him. We need his spirit within us. We need his life within us. We need to be set free from our past. We need God's spirit, his power, his grace, and his forgiveness. We need the, 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 the encouragement that only the Father can give us if we're to become all that he wants us to become. And if you're here today and you, and you realize, man, I need a Savior. I know I need God. I need him in my life. And you're ready to surrender your life to him. You're ready to say, yep, Jesus, I need you. I need your grace and forgiveness. I need your spirit within me. That's the good news. The good news is he paid the price for your sin. He paid the debt. You don't have to get good enough. He already did it for you. And now by his grace, you can receive that forgiveness. And in his grace, you can walk in his power. You can walk in his strength. You can walk in his ability to become the man or the woman God wants you to be. And if you're ready for that, you want to do that today, just make this prayer. It's a choice of your heart, but just make my prayer right now your prayer. Just own these words as I pray them. Father, forgive me. Forgive me for my past, my sins. Forgive me for what I've done, for what I have failed. And I, I confess to you today, I need a Savior. I need grace. I need forgiveness. And I get it today. I see it. And so I come and receive the gift, the free gift of God's grace and forgiveness in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me on that cross. I believe in you. And now I entrust my life to you. I surrender my life to you. My past, my present, my future, I surrender it all to you. And right here, right this moment, right now, I'm making a decision, an intentional decision to follow you, to give you my life. Come and help me, empower me to do it, because I know I can't do it on my own. But God, I choose you today. Thank you for choosing me. 
Now, if that's you, and that's your heart, in your own way, your own words, your own mind, just say, yes, God, that's me, that prayer, that's my prayer. Well, the Bible says the instant you do that, you cross that line of faith, you become a child of God forever. You're his. Lord, thank you for those making that decision right now. Whether they're in this room or watching online, thank you for those that are making that decision right now to give their lives to you. Show them, God, your goodness, your grace. Show them your power. Give them the hope that now comes from being a child of the Father. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish one last song that I love this song. It can be a declaration. For some of you, it's going to be the first time you can sing this as truth in your life. We're going to give. If you've got that uh, communication card, if you're a guest today, drop that in the bag and give to support what God's doing around here. But let's give as we worship. I'll come back and wrap it up. He takes us as we are. That always blows my mind. He breathes new life into us. He transforms us from the inside out. He sets us free. And he empowers us to be more like him. I mean, well, that's a pretty good deal in my mind. God comes and gives us what we can never get on our own. And then he empowers us to do, do the life he calls us to. Today, if you begin your life as a Christ follower, welcome to the family. This Father's Day, welcome to relationship with the Father. And I encourage you to tell somebody. You'll make their day. Let them know. And then back on the tables as you walk out, there it says for new Christians, it's got a Bible, some material in it to get you started in your walk with Jesus. Pick one of those up. But let us walk with you in this journey of, of, uh, of incredible, incredible favor from God. If you need prayer, prayer team will be down here. There's communion on both sides of the room for you as well. But here's the last thing I want to say to you guys. I know that sometimes we feel completely inadequate. We're like, man, I could never be that dad. I could never be good enough. I wish I could be like so-and-so or I'm just, I failed too much. That's one choice you can choose to believe in or you can choose to believe in this. God is good. God is awesome. God is powerful. God wants to help you to become the dad you want to be. And God can restore. Some of you, I talked to you after the service, first service, and man, I, I, my kids don't even talk to me anymore. They hate me so much. I don't know what to do. And I said, just keep loving them and loving Jesus. Just keep loving them and loving Jesus. And I believe somewhere along the line, you'll have a chance. God will redeem. He will restore. So go with that hope and that encouragement, that confident expectation that God is for you. God the Father is on your side. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. Have a great day.